Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Sections. One of the more well-known stories, honestly, maybe in the Bible. A lot of times we think about Genesis as being the story of creation. But in reality, and this has been said before, creation only takes up a few chapters of a book that's over 40 chapters long. And a lot of these characters that we begin to see in Hebrews chapter number 11 are found in the book of Genesis. And the one thing that ties all of these characters together is with the exception of Abraham, and we'll kind of get into this, is they were all given a very obscure promise. To kind of, I guess, lay a little bit of introduction for Abraham so we can kind of understand who Abraham is and how Abraham fits into this timeline of people, we need to go back to the garden. God, in the beginning, creates a man and a woman who are to be the caretakers of of the place where he will dwell with his people. And if you remember back to when we started the book of Hebrews, we began to talk about some of this, about some of what the understanding of the book of Hebrews points us to. So God creates this garden where he is to dwell with his people. He gives Adam and Eve one very simple command and arguably one very simple duty. He says, take care of the garden and don't eat of the tree in the middle. What seems like very specific instructions. But like us and like most people who are born into this world, very simple instructions don't always process in our minds. I could give my kids, and then I do give my kids what seems like to be very simple instructions, and those very simple instructions are, for some reason, the most complicated instructions that have ever passed through their ears. And if we look to Adam and Eve, we see this same thing. We think to my ourselves, reading the story, my goodness, God told you not to do one thing and you go and you do that one thing. There are some Jewish writers that even believe that Adam and Eve didn't last a day. They take a verse in the book of Psalms where it says that you couldn't even dwell a day with the Lord. And they said, they, they teach that that was the psalmist explained that Adam didn't even last a day, that God gave him a command, and before nightfall that day, he had already broken the command. Whether that's true or not, it really doesn't matter. But the point being is Adam and Eve broke the command that God gave them. They went and they grabbed hold of the fruit, 
that he said, do not eat. And they ate of it. Well, in that same text of Scripture, in Genesis chapter number 3, we get the very first mention of the gospel. Because just like in Adam and Eve, we, like our parents, do the same thing that they did and we break the law of God. So we need something done for us, just like Adam and Eve needed something done for them. It is interesting to note that when God comes to preach the gospel, who does he preach it to first? Well, we would thank Adam and Eve. But when he gets there, he speaks directly to the serpent. The serpent is the first one that hears the gospel. And I heard one author write, or read one author who wrote that every time the gospel is preached, the same thing happens. It's preached directly to the enemy saying, you have lost. And it's a call to those who are on that losing team to come to the other. Because that's, been, that's the way that's been made for them. But kind of fast forwarding a little bit through that, we, we understand that the gospel came, that a serpent crusher was promised. Eve says, well, I believe it. We believe the promise. We believe God. Eve gets pregnant and she says, God's done it. He's fulfilled the promise just like he said he would do it. The problem was, <laughs> the son that she had was not the one who would bring the promise. He would bring murder, but he wouldn't bring the promise. And we start to see that again and again throughout Scripture. We start to see people who believe the promise in such a way that they believe the promise will come through them. We have Adam and Eve, if you will, starting out believing the promise will come. We get to Noah and Mrs. Noah, and they're effectively... Adam and Eve 2.0. We are starting over. We have a man who has found grace in the eyes of God. The Bible says that he was righteous in his day. We have cleansed the world of sin. We're starting over with a new promise bringer. And new seed. It works out about the same way as it worked out the first time because what happens? Noah gets off of the ark. He goes, for lack of a better term, he ties one on. He gets drunk. His son comes in. We can debate about what happened or didn't happen, but for all intents and purposes, the very first words that we hear from Noah after the flood is cursed be Canaan. So we don't hear a promise coming forth after the flood. We hear curses. The same thing that we get from Adam and Eve, we hear from the mouth of Noah. So our Adam and Eve 2.0 don't really start off very well either. So we go a little bit farther in the book of Genesis, and we get to around Genesis 17. Arguably a little bit earlier than that, but Genesis 17 is where Abraham's name is changed. 
from Abram to Abraham. He is given the promise. And effectively, we have Adam 3.0. And if you would like to read through Hebrews 11, you're going to see a lot of Adam point O's. But they were never the last Adam. So verse number 17, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, And he that had received the promise, excuse me, received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure." The author of Hebrews doesn't really give us a lot in that section. He points us back to Abraham. He gives us three verses about Abraham, specifically about what the trying or testing of Abraham was. But he seems to be pretty vague, honestly. He says, Abraham, by faith when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it is said that Isaac shall be called, the seed shall be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up from even from the dead. So the Bible is speaking to us and telling us that it was Abraham, and he offered up Isaac, and then roughly three times tells us, just in case you didn't catch it in the story, Isaac was the one that God said would be the promise. So What I would like to try and do tonight is to convey the person that we see in the text, the circumstance that we see in this text, the act and the effect that we see in the text. If you will, go ahead and turn back to Genesis chapter number 22. Because I want us to make sure that we understand what happened here. We, again, arguably may very well know this story. We may know the story of Abraham and Isaac. We may know what happens in this story. But even if we know it, it's not going to hurt us to look at it again. Chapter number 22. We start out, and it came to pass after these things, so after the birth of Isaac, after the casting out of Hagar, that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. So we start out, God says, Abraham, and Abraham right away says, Here I am, Lord. God says to Abraham, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, And get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee. If we were to insert Abraham into this conversation, it may sound something like this. Abraham is called by God and says, here I am. 
God says, take now thy son. Abraham says, well, I have two sons. So which one are you talking about? God says, thine only son. He says, I have two. And God says, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee. We see something here that is interesting, and I even referenced this earlier. I think it was on Tuesday night. In verse number three, Abraham rises up early in the morning. And this is important because he doesn't wait. And if we go back and we look at this whole idea of Adam 3.0, who God called didn't make a lot of sense. He created, he created Adam. The Bible says that Noah was righteous and he found grace in the eyes of God. But with Abraham, what we have is a heathen man who is going to bring the promise. Not only that, but this heathen man, he was married to his sister, which makes even less sense. Okay, so we're not looking for the guy who was righteous. We're not looking for the guy whom God created. But we're going to go get the guy who's a heathen that's married to his sister. And if you want to make matters worse, this guy's 75 years old and his wife is 65. It doesn't make a lot of sense what God is doing with Abraham in the beginning. He's wicked and he's incapable. But that's typically the ones that God calls because that's where we all find ourselves. We all find ourselves in wickedness. We all find ourselves incapable to save ourselves, but that's who Adam, or that's who, who God calls out in Abraham. He tries him. And one of the things that stood out to me, again, even with this whole rising up early, this is the same man who, when God tells him, I'm going to destroy Sodom, bargains with God. He says, well, God, if you can find 50, will you leave them alone? If you can find 40, will you spare them? If you can find 20, 10. So he's bargaining with God over a city of sinners, a city of people who are wicked. But when we come to God telling him, I want you to take the one that I told you was the promise and sacrifice him, there's no bargaining that happens. <laughs> The Bible says Abraham rose up early in the morning. Again, this is what I had mentioned. I think it was on Tuesday. If you look back in chapter number 21, Abraham had done this exact same thing prior to this event. Verse number 14 Adam, Abraham was told by God to cast out Ishmael, to cast out Hagar. And the Bible says that 
he rose up early in the morning. The very next day, he doesn't wait, he just does it. So why doesn't Abraham bargain with God over these things? Why is this situation different? Well, hopefully we can get to that. So Abraham rose up early, verse number 3, and he sat on his ass and took two young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abram lifted up his eyes and saw a place far off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go up yonder and worship and come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. And He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And we can see the pictures of what we understand is going to happen here. He lays the wood upon his son, and his son carries this wood up top of this mountain. But he didn't know what we know. He's just doing what God said. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place where God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid his the wood upon the altar and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took a knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. So we have this event. Abraham goes up, this act, if you will. Abraham goes up the mountain with his son. He goes to sacrifice his son. He gets ready to do it. The messenger of the Lord comes and stops him. Says, don't do this thing. So Abraham doesn't do it. He unties Isaac. They see a ram. They bring the ram. They offer the ram instead. And they say they called this place Jehovah-Jireh as it is unto this day. So what does all this have to do with the text in the book of Hebrews? What it has to do with the text is that this is the situation that Abraham found himself in. This is exactly what the text was speaking of. And if we're going to understand why Abraham did what he did and how Abraham did what he did, the author of Hebrews calls us back to look at the faith that he's been talking about for the last couple chapters. Abraham had received the promise. 
he was a little bit different than some of these other characters that we've covered. He was a little bit different than Jacob. He was a little bit different than some of the ones who had sojourned. He was a little bit different than Adam, a little bit different than Noah, because he actually had seen and received the promise himself. Adam had heard the promise. Noah had heard the promise, but Abraham was given the promise. He said that by your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And if we're going to understand why he did what he did, that's the key aspect that we've got to grasp. That he offered up Isaac because he had received the promise. He was literally giving up what he thought the avenue to the promise was in place of the promise itself. Everything that Abraham did was by faith in that promise that he had given him. There was, no, there was no difference. When he left his home, he did it because of what God said, because of the promise God had given him. When him and his wife believed God that he would do what he said, it was because of the promise that God had given him. Now, they did all kinds of other stuff, thinking they could make way for this promise themselves. But we get to this point in the story, and I think Abraham has finally realized that God is going to do what he said in spite of what he does. Now, it took him going to Egypt and lying, and it took him going into his handmaiden, bringing a seed that wasn't the promise, and it took him doing all these other things. But we get to this point where we have this man who had sojourned, who were looking for a better country, who was doing all these things, trying to figure out a way that he could bring the promise to pass, who finally seemingly throws up his hands and says, okay, God, you told me this is how you're doing it, and you're telling me this now, so I'm just going to believe you in spite of everything that I think that I know, in spite of every way that I think that I can do things. Everything that he had done, he had done for the purpose of that promise that he had received. But by faith, he was willing to give up the mode that he thought the promise would come by. He had, he had gotten done with trying to make the promise come him by himself. But the faith of this passage is a faith that just took the word of God Barring everything else that he may have thought. And the main point of this specific text, the main point of this specific passage that is called the trial of Abraham, because that's what the author says when he was tried, is that Abraham finally 
got it off of himself that he had to carry the promise. This trying or this proving of Abraham was proving to him that God would be the one who would bring the promise. Arguably what we have throughout the Old Testament are men who see the promise and they believe the promise, but they think that they're the ones who have to carry the promise. And that's oftentimes where we find ourselves. We see God. We hear what God says. We believe what God has said. But we think that we're the ones who have to carry the promise. It's on us. It's on what we're doing. It's on how well that we do. How effective that we are. But God's proving of Abraham was him proving to Abraham... And eventually we'll see in the book of James proving to everybody around Abraham that it wasn't up to Abraham to keep the promise. That's why we see that Abraham by faith. By faith in what? Simply by faith in what God had said. Taking everything else off of the table, every way that he thought that it could happen, and just by faith, even going against what he thought was the promise because he believed the promise. This promise was proved to him. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to get into this even in the New Testament. But this promise was proved to him in such a way that I don't think Abraham ever got over this point. And the author doesn't have to continue with Abraham because he stops here and says, Abraham, he gave up the promise because he believed the promise. And it senses what these three verses are saying. And then he moves on. You have to remember that this book was written to people who were doing what they thought God had said to do. They were still going back and they were still sacrificing and they in the back of their minds, we're saying, okay, we believe now, but are we supposed to go back? And we've covered that throughout the book of Hebrews. But through this little section of Scripture, the author is calling to them and saying, I know what you think, but just believe that God said what he said, and just believe that God will do what he said. In spite of what you think, just believe God, because that's exactly what Abraham did here in this text. Verse number 19 says that Abraham received something that nobody else had received. It said, accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead, raise him up, either from the dead. So Abraham, we understand, believed that God was just going to fulfill his promise, even if it meant that he raised, he killed Isaac and he raised Isaac from the dead. Then the author says, from whence also he received him in a figure. And we have this woven throughout our understanding of the New Testament. God was proving himself to Abraham. He was proving that he was going to keep his promises in spite of Abraham. In spite of all of his failures and even in spite of what he thought. And God did something for Abraham that he didn't do for anybody else. Did the Abraham receive that promise specifically? But God showed him the promise. The book of John, 
Chapter number eight, verse number 56. Jesus tells the Pharisees that Abraham saw me in his day and he was glad. He rejoiced. The book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number three and verse number eight. Paul said that God, that to Abraham, the gospel was preached before the gospel. The word that's used there mean is it, it literally means that God pre-preached the gospel to Abraham. Well, when did he do it? He did it right here. He says he showed him this in a figure. God got Abraham through the other trials and through the things that Abraham went through. Through the faith that Abraham displayed, God got Abraham to the point that he showed him the promise. God led Abraham by faith. Abraham did all the things that he did. He believed the promise. That's the reason he got up early. This was the firstborn son, the way that they thought the promise was going to come. God said, get rid of him. Abraham got up early and he did it. God comes to him. He says, Isaac, go kill him. God tells him that and Abraham gets up early and he does it. Because God had gotten Abraham to the point to where Abraham believed him. Abraham believed God and understood that it wasn't on him to carry the promise. And God gets Abraham to this point and says, now that you understand that you're not going to have to carry the promise, I'm going to show you the one who's going to. That's literally what Jesus tells us. So what Paul explains to us is that God showed Abraham the gospel. And that's literally the point of this text to these Hebrew believers and even to us. The point of this text, the point of all of the characters that we've covered thus far and all of the characters that we're going to cover is it wasn't on them to carry the promise. But the point is that the promise is what carried all of them. Abraham had the promise and so do we. If it would have been up to him to carry it, he would have failed. He got that. And if it's up to us to carry the promise, then we're going to fail. But the point is that the promise is what carries us. The promise is what we cling to. The promise doesn't cling to us. It's not on us. It's on Christ. To these Jewish believers, the author is explained to them through Abraham that the promise isn't on you. The promise is for you. It's not contingent on what you do. It's in spite of what you do. And God showed him this through the gospel. Where do we find the same thing? How do we understand that we're not the ones who are carrying out the promise in the world? Same place that Abraham found out that he wasn't carrying out the promise to the world. Because Jesus said whenever he saw me, he was happy about that. Because he came to the realization that he couldn't do it. And if we're going to be able to live 
bearing the trials that we're going to bear, doing the things that we're going to do, and even accomplishing the will of God in our lives that God has set forth for us, the only way we're going to be happy about any of it is if we see that it's the promise that's going to carry us through all of those things. Not that it's our responsibility to carry those things. That's why we get burnt out in our, in our Christian lives and ministry, however you want to say it, is because we think that this thing is contingent on us. And it's not. Our part in this is proclaiming what happened. And not to get too far into it, but in James, that's literally what James says. James says that they called Abraham the friend of God. Why? Because they saw that the promise is what carried Abraham through. Abraham had something that they didn't have. But the beauty is, they could have. And some of them did. But that's the point. The point isn't that we have to carry the promise through. The point wasn't that these Hebrew believers had to continue to make sacrifices and continue to display themselves in such a way that everybody in the world would see the promise. Because in spite of what happened to them, God's word was enough. Christ was enough. In spite of what happens to us, in spite of what we do, in spite of how things conspire in our life, in spite of how effective that we are, just the fact that we proclaim the promise, that we point back to the promise, is enough. Let's pray.